Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Spilling Lemonade Podcast. This is your host, Cammie Nelson, back with another episode. Before we get started today, I did just want to mention that I have a bit of a cold, so I do want to apologize if my voice is a little bit off, and also just say that I am here with a guest today. I am so excited, but before I introduce the guest, I did want to add, for those of you who are interested, The Recovered Project, which is a young and adult-led teen organization aiming to help those in eating disorder recovery, is currently accepting ambassadors. You can find all the information on The Recovered Project Instagram, and we talk more about that and what they do over there. With that said, I'm so excited to announce our guest. Today we have Emma Tropa. Tropa. Trope, sorry. I literally just asked. I feel so bad. Okay. Trope on. And she is a mental health advocate. She talks about her struggles with a variety of different mental health issues. And I am so excited to have her on. Um, Emma, is there anything you would like to add about yourself or? Um, you kind of nailed it. <laughs> awesome. I guess let's just get into it then. I think we're both pretty excited. So I guess a question I would want to start off with is just if you wanted to explain a little bit of your journey with mental health and your recovery of mental health? Yeah, um, so I have been struggling with my mental health when it really picked up was sixth grade. I was very severely bullied, like most kids are, which is awful. <laughs> I'm sure you've been there too. Like, I can't think of anyone I know that hasn't been bullied. Um, but that really kickstarted my depression I was predisposed to it because my dad and everyone on his side of the family has depression. And so I was predisposed to it and sixth grade really triggered it for me. My house was kind of abusive and so was my schooling. So I really didn't have a safe place to go. And so I really fell down a dark hole. I tried to kill myself five times. um, And I started to self-harm when I was in seventh grade. Um, And then after my fifth attempt, I was like, nope. The morning after, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I am fixing my life. And so I started to turn things around, and I ended up getting help. And I was diagnosed with uh, bipolar 1, depression, anxiety, OCD, PTSD, and ADHD, along with um, anorexia and bulimia. Wow, that is just... I'm First of all, I mean, I don't like saying, like, I'm sorry to hear that, because, like, I think it's a part of who you are. And it totally turns people into how, like, who they become and which is oftentimes amazing, beautiful people. But I am sorry about the bullying part. And obviously that your struggles sound plentiful. I don't know if that's the right word, <laughs> but um, I admire your strength that you're still here and that you made the, the choice to be still be here. That's pretty amazing. So kudos to you. Thank you. Um, I feel like the question might be a little obvious because... I have my own theory, but I'd like you to explain, how did you get decide to get into mental health activism? So it's kind of funny. I really started my journey on TikTok and (laughs) I started it as a spam. Like I had my main account, like everyone does. I was following people on there and my friend had a spam account. I was like, you know what? That's a good place to vent and like start getting stuff out. And so I made a TikTok account and I started like venting on there and talking about my like mental health recovery um, because that was about the time where I started to turn my life around and really like fix it. And that was a year and a half ago, I think. And it just took off. I'm at like 88,000 followers on (laughs) TikTok right now, which is 
crazy. I can't even like comprehend it. But I started my journey on, or I like transferred my journey to Instagram because I would make these videos on TikTok that I wanted that people to see. And so I had like a thousand followers on Instagram. I was like, oh, wow, I'm so famous. And so <laughs> I was like, I want people to see this. And so I posted a reel talking about self-harm and um, the like, like how it affects you in the current day. And it blew up, like had millions of views. And I was like, wow. So my videos can like help people here. And I've just kind of like my following has just taken off. And really my goal is to help people get out of that dark place or to help them prevent themselves from falling into it. That is amazing. I love to hear that. I think the work you're doing is so helpful and beneficial to so many people and such an inspiring story. I also love you had mentioned earlier that you didn't really have a safe place. And I think it's pretty cool that you created one. And, you know, not only did you help yourself, it sounds like, but you really helped a lot of others. And I think that's pretty special. With that said, I guess my next question would kind of be about like where you want to take this, if this has anything to do with what you want to do with your career or your life goals. So I'm actually in college right now and I'm an entrepreneurship major and I've idea for a long time since sophomore year about a company that I want to start. It's for fluorescent lights. Like they give off awful UV rays and cause headaches and depression, anxiety, all that stuff. And so I wanted to create a film that actually goes over it to help people's mental health and reduce the blue light, the green lights, and just increase vitamin D in people, which helps produce serotonin and dopamine, which helps reduce like happiness and I want to donate that what I can from that into a mental health charity and one day I would love to start my own mental health charity and I obviously want to continue my social media journey because I think it's crazy it's gotten me so many places I spoke at a school I'm speaking on a podcast <laughs> like <laughs> it's insane and I'm helping people and it's always been my dream to help people so I really want to merge my entrepreneurship with my mental health like passion that is such a unique idea first of all I am like blown away that you have that as a sophomore that is like I've never considered that that is so brilliant so oh my gosh like every time you speak you're impressing me um but also I love how you're kind of merging your like passions and your mental health and it just sounds really, really fascinating. And yeah, I'm very impressed with all of that. Um, you said you spoke at your school? I spoke at a school in the Philippines. Okay. Um, it was really cool. They invited me to speak for their English month. And it was talking about empowering, uh, encouraging others. And there was something else I can't remember. <laughs> um, but it was an online, like, speaking recorded it and sent it in and then they asked me questions and it was it was really cool that sounds like such a rewarding experience I am oh my gosh okay go off <laughs> um okay so you kind of mentioned how you like try to help people pull themselves out of dark times and I guess that would lead me to I was curious what do you do for yourself when you're in a dark time how do you help yourself that's such a great question, and I feel like a lot of people don't have any, like, coping mechanisms when they get there because they never had the chance to learn. And so I have been in therapy for two years um, since I decided to get help, 
And one of the big things that she taught me was that when you're feeling depressed, and I'm sure everyone listening can like relate to this, is like you feel so heavy, like you can't get out of bed, like even the smallest task takes all of your energy. And so personally, for me, the first thing to go is my personal hygiene. It sounds gross, but like, it is what it is. Like, I don't brush my hair, I don't brush my teeth, I don't shower, because it takes too much energy. And so the thing that she taught me was that you choose one little thing to do every day. And so for me, that was washing my face. And so every day, I would wash my face at least once. And if I did nothing else, I did that. And then once I got consistent in doing that, I would add another thing, which would be brushing my teeth. And I would slowly build my routine back up to get me to a normal place. That's awesome. That is, I think healthy habits can have such an important, like, boost on our mental health. And honestly, just, you know, they talk about like the pyramid of like, first it's taking care of yourself and then it's relationships with others. And then I always forget what the third thing is. Of needs. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, I learned about that this year in psychology couldn't tell you (laughs) no I yeah but I you know I do remember that at the most important they always say it is like hygiene and self-care and eating right and all of those things and eating enough and exercise and just all the things that make your body naturally happy Mm -hmm. and so I love that you mentioned that that's really interesting and I was curious if there's any other you know habits that you've picked up other than like hygiene yeah, um, the first one that I did when I was trying to get better, it was the very first step I took to getting better was getting up at 5 a.m. every day. And I know that sounds really daunting. <laughs> like, people are like, wow, you get up at 5 every day? Like, what do you do? <laughs> and I was watching this TikToker called Ellie Breeden. I don't know if you've heard of her, but um, she started this 5 a.m. challenge for her mental health where she would get up at 5 a.m. and do something every day. And I was like, you know what? That's completely inspiring and that's what I need to do and so I would start getting up at 5 a.m and I would be exhausted because it's 5 (laughs) a.m but the first thing I would do would be to hop in the shower and I would start that as my routine um so that even if I literally just stood there like I didn't wash my hair I didn't wash my body I would just stand in the shower and get in the routine of like showering and then after that I would go work out at like 5 like 5 a.m workouts (laughs) that's amazing and have really helped me um because the gym is empty at that point and as someone with anxiety working out you feel like everyone's looking at you no one is but <laughs> if looking at you and so going at 5 a.m when it's quiet and peaceful and it's just you your music and your workout that helped me clear my head so much and I felt better about my body and my image and it helped me get out of that really dark place. Um, that that was definitely my main thing in getting better. But I also do little things. I did yoga for a long time. Um, I really should get back into it. But with transition to college, it was a little difficult. But I would do yoga every Wednesday at five at five thirty in the morning, um, and it was hard. People underestimate how hard yoga is, like the intensive yoga. It's difficult. Like, it makes you sweat, but it's so worth it because the whole time they are so encouraging. They're telling you to ground yourself, like, to feel where you are on the earth and be in the present, which is such an important message that people need to hear. Um, And along with that, I read. I'm a big reader. 
uh, before we started the podcast, you mentioned reading and I love to read. Um, it is such a great distraction when thoughts get too loud. Um, a lot because TV, you can kind of mindlessly watch, but reading your mind is always in action. And I love fantasy books. I'm such a nerd. Um, Percy Jackson, <clears throat> sorry, Percy Jackson was my jam. <laughs> so any books like that where you're just completely transported to a different world, I enjoy doing that. I love that. I think definitely taking yourself. One tip I've learned a lot that helps me, at least with those dark times, is sometimes just not being in the dark time, which mm-hmm. sounds probably funny because you're like, well, no shit. Like, if I, like, of course I don't want to be in the dark time, but like, not some life changing solution, but like, just if I'm like, okay, for 15 minutes, I like to write. So I don't really read a ton, which is people are like, but you write. Okay. I know it's confusing, but I actually write fiction novels, like fantasy novels. And I, that became like my safe haven kind of like, okay, like I'm in a really dark time. And even I don't have the energy to write. Like sometimes when I'm really depressed, I had, I'm not going to go up and think of a new book and like start typing and thinking of the right words to put together. Like that's just not what I would do, but I could just lay in my bed even and just imagine I was one of the characters in the book and think about what was going to happen. And it didn't really take a lot of energy, but it was somewhere where I would be so entranced by it like kind of like reading that my mind would be at least for 15 minutes 30 minutes however long not where the not in that dark place and I think that that I love that you mentioned that because I think reading can have that effect and I think it's such a beautiful coping skill yeah and I just yeah but everything you're saying is really great you really like or seem so informed not only about yourself but about mental health in general and that's so nice to hear from young people and the impact you're making so once again just kudos to that Thank you. I did forget to mention one thing, and I just think it's really important because it is the like advice that I give people. Because I get tons of DMs, and I people are like, "What do you do?" And it's looking for the small things during the day, like finding moments where you laugh or you smile, and just keeping those in mind and trying to carry that emotion throughout the rest of your day. And it makes such a huge difference when I, you're like, I, like what you, you said get out of your head like you just focus on the little positive thing and hold that emotion with you you get out of that dark place I absolutely I love that that holding on to the moments that make life really the joyful worth living parts holding on to those I used to always say when I was suicidal that um kind of also when I like chose like I was like no this like I'm going to live as I used to say like I'd rather have even if all I get this month is one good moment if I was gone, I would have zero. There would be absolutely no good moments. Like there would not be a single, there wouldn't be one funny joke. There wouldn't be one good meal. There wouldn't be one good smelling candle. There wouldn't be one pretty sunset. Like not a single thing would happen. I I wouldn't smile. And yeah. my friends wouldn't see me smile. And I that was really it. helpful. Yeah. Um, Kind of jumping back a little bit. I wanted to talk about a little bit about do you have any, like, I know sometimes I was thinking of this while you're talking is like, I personally have like a lot of mantras or like affirmations that had helped me while I was like getting through my mental health recovery and all of that. And I was curious if you have any like really good mantras, mottos, anything like that, that you'd want to share. And it's okay if you don't, but. I wish I was back in my dorm because I actually <laughs> have a- quotes that inspire me and I write them down. 
Um, and one of them is from, I don't know if you've ever read it, but it's a series of unfortunate events. They made it into a TV show, which was phenomenal. <laughs> it's one of my favorite book series of all times. And it, the quote is, if I remember it correctly, when the world is falling down around you, head to a library because you'll either find the solution you're looking for or you will have something to read as the world crashes down. And that has always stuck with me as that, like, you have to stay in the present and you have to always look for a solution out of your problems. And even if you can't find one, you find a happy way to live with it. I love that. That is so, yes, I definitely agree with all of that. That's a great quote. Um, Okay, totally. I feel like I've done this a few times. Sorry about that. But totally just like shifting gears, like whipping the car over to a totally different lane um I was wondering if you would speak a little bit on your experience with bipolar one kind of what that entails and how you cope yeah it was definitely a shock for me when I got diagnosed with bipolar one kind of um I had actually suspected that I had bipolar um and later I found out that they'd been treating me for bipolar without telling me which I was like "Mm, okay (laughs) little sauce (laughs) it's I had read a book and the main character had bipolar disorder and you didn't find out till the end. But throughout the reading, I really connected with the main character and I was like, wow, I feel these insane mood swings where I'm like so depressed, I can't get out of bed. And then the next day I am like having so much energy, I'm not sleeping. Like, and my doctor, once I turned 18, which is the legal age to get diagnosed with bipolar disorder, because that's when your brain like starts to fully develop. Um, they can't really diagnose you before that because it's like, not legal, putting that in quotes, because people can't see me do quotes. (laughs) (laughs) But she was reading to me out of the DSM-5, and there's two categories for bipolar 1 and bipolar 2. It's mania slash hypomania and depression. And so you have to meet a certain number of criteria for both to be diagnosed with it. And Basically, with mania, you have this, like, really elated mood, sometimes euphoria, um, euphoric, and you can be really agitated, you don't sleep, your appetite is, like, non-existent because you just don't feel the need to eat, Um, or you can be, like, hyper-eating, like, you just have so much energy, you don't know what to do with it, your thoughts are racing, you start projects that you don't finish, Um, and it can be dangerous, like, it sounds kind of nice, like a nice break from depression. And sometimes it can be, especially with hypomania, which is a less severe version of mania. But mania is actually where people kill themselves because they have impulsive thoughts and they act on them without thinking. Um, There is a portion of bipolar disorder that's called mixed disorder, mixed bipolar disorder, where you are experiencing symptoms of mania and depression at the same time. And that has one of the highest suicide rates of any eating disorder. Or not eating disorder, (laughs) sorry. I was thinking eating disorders have the highest rate of death, but suicide. Um, Because you have all these really depressive thoughts, but you're also really impulsive. And so that's where you act on it. And that is where I actually spend a lot of my time. And that's what the doctors have found out. But I go through these like really bad waves of depression. And it has to last at least two weeks. Um, mine can last up to month, like a few months and they have before, like I've had depression errors that have lasted, I think maybe three months at a time. 
Um, and then I'll have mania for a few weeks and then I'll fall back into depression. It's rare for me that there's really a normal period, though people can have it. Um, I spend a lot of time in the mixed zone. And so I usually have depressed, I like I have bipolar depression with symptoms of mania um, in that situation. And so I'm feeling this like really big hopelessness and I can't get out of bed. But at the same time, my thoughts are racing and I'm doing really impulsive, dangerous things. Like I, when I'm manic, I get into like drugs and alcohol, obviously nothing serious drug wise, just weed, but you know, I'm (laughs) decisions that I really wouldn't make if I were in a normal state. And so it can be really dangerous. It can be, people have described bipolar as fun and I wouldn't disagree with that necessarily it can be fun when you're like in hypomania and everything's happy everything's great and then you start to lose control and that's where it becomes less fun and same with depression people find comfort in that sadness but once the sadness starts to be out of control then it's no longer uh, it's the wrong word but it's no longer okay if that makes any sense I know I just rambled for a while (laughs) No, ramble all you want. I don't, I love it. It's so fun to hear you talk. And I feel like I don't always have guests on who are so well-spoken and so just very in touch and in tune with their emotions and thoughts. And it's very exciting to hear you speak. You definitely captivate an audience. So no, very enjoyable to hear you speak. Um, I have so many, sorry, I couldn't hear you. What'd you say? Therapist said the same thing. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Um, I wanted to actually, speaking of your therapist, that actually leads me, I have so many questions, but if you don't mind talking about it, how, what does like treatment for bipolar one look like? Is there any therapy? Does it help or anything? So I actually just wrote an HP, eight page paper on bipolar disorder and it was, I wrote it in three days. I'm not quite sure how I did it, <laughs> but, um, one of the pages of it had to be about treatments. And so not only did I speak on my own experiences, but I also did a lot of research for it. And so there is no cure for bipolar disorder because bipolar disorder is actually a brain, like your brain structure changes. And so it eats away at the gray matter. And so it causes damage to your frontal lobe, the temporal lobe, hippocampus, and along with some other parts of the brain that are too big of a name for me to say. (laughs) But the treatments to stop it or to make it manageable. There's medication and really therapy. Those are the two big ones. Um, But there's also outpatient, inpatient and hospitalization. Those are really the main, not characteristics, but aspects of bipolar treatment. So I personally um, did therapy for two years. Currently my therapist and I are not together because she moved to a different practice. Um, and so right now I'm kind of self-therapizing. That's not a word. <laughs> but I'm taking care of myself until January when I can get a new therapist. Um, but I did therapy for two years and I am on medication. And for bipolar disorder, you usually go on to a mood stabilizer. And if you have mania, you can have psychotic features where you can like hear things, see things, like it gets out of control, like the euphoria. And so I'm also on an antipsychotic, which can help limit that. They give antipsychotics to people who have those hallucinations or have those like out of control feelings. 
Um, I promise I'm not psychotic. It's a very <laughs> misleading title. And that's what all the doctors say. They're like, I'm giving this to you, not because you're crazy, <laughs> but because I feel less crazy. <laughs> and so I to mix with that, because um, that caps my mania so that I don't go too high. And I'm also on two antidepressants to make sure I don't go too low. Um, and that's kind of, it's really about finding a chemical cocktail, as I like to call it. Um, because there is no perfect, like everyone has a different baseline where they need to be. And so a mood stabilizer helps to make the waves go from super big to more manageable. But you're also, you're still getting so high and so low that it can be dangerous. And so it's rare that a mood stabilizer is not paired with an antidepressant or an antipsychotic. Um, and there's like a bunch of different big named uh, mood stabilizers. And the one that most people hear about is lithium. Um, lithium is good for a lot of people, but it's also one of the most dangerous mood stabilizers because it's, I don't know if you know about Prozac, but Prozac has one of the highest like, like suicide rates, like when people are on it. Yeah, I, I, I had that ex somewhat of that experience. So, yeah. Like I had the same reaction to Prozac. And so lithium is a very similar give and take. Like it can help people, but it can also really hurt people. Um, there are some other names that are hard to pronounce, but I'm on Lamictal, uh, Lamodrigine, which is another name for it, the like official name. And so far, medication has really helped me. I definitely experience high highs and low lows, but it's much more manageable. I feel much more in control. Along with therapy, I've gained a lot of coping mechanisms from that to deal with the low lows. Um, it's hard to find coping mechanisms for when you're manic because you don't realize you're manic. Um, you can feel that you're not depressed, but you don't feel that you're like manic until you start doing really self-destructive behaviors. And so I'm still learning coping mechanisms for that because I'm always growing and learning as a person. Um, but yeah, therapy, medication. I was scheduled to go to a mental hospital, but I'd already missed too much school and I was terrified of missing any more. <laughs> so I kind of um, went against that, um, against my better judgment, because I think that it would have been very helpful. And I know it's very helpful to a lot of people. And I highly recommend it when things get too severe, because although you're a little bit cut off from society, that's the best part of it is that you get a break from society. You get to really focus just on your treatment. You're around other people who are suffering just like you are. Like, and people have their nightmares from it, but a lot of people are helped from it. Um, and then there's hospitalization, which can be, you know, either forced or you go in by yourself, which is what my uh, psychiatrist recommended that I do. Um, and then there's inpatient and outpatient. Inpatient is what I was mentioning about the psych wards. But you can also do outpatient, which people don't really know much about. So you're getting that treatment. You go in for like group therapy or just therapy and you're there for like, I don't know, like six hours a day. But you still get to go home and be with your family and be with your friends. And that's a great option for people who are like, I can't be away from my support system, but I need help. And so those are really the main treatments for bipolar disorder. I love that. That Well, first of all, I mean, I love how informed you are about all of that. And 
I'm so happy that medication is helping you and that um, honestly, I'm going to be so honest. I loved speaking about mental health. I personally don't struggle with bipolar and I don't know anyone in my personal life who does. So I'm not an expert on it. So I can't speak from personal experience. And so I want to be very careful when I speak about it. Let the people who have experienced, have lived experience, talk way more. Um, I did want to say in terms of the levels of care, they do very similar things for, um, like the generally they actually do group, not all the time, but people with like bipolar and BPD and OCD and ADHD, anxiety, depression, which I have several of those um, into the same treatments. So I've actually been at every single level of care, um, including hospitalization and then inpatient at like a residential where you're away from your family. And mm-hmm. then I've done outpatient, like full outpatient and then like partial outpatient where you do like, sometimes they call it PHP or IOP. I don't know uh-huh. if you've ever heard those terms, um, but what you're explaining where you go like a certain amount of hours a day. And so you have that support, but you also have your support system at home. And I love how informed you are about those because I definitely think those can be helpful options. And I'm so happy that we get to bring this up and talk about it because I think definitely that can be such a utilized resource for people that need it. And I think um, it has a stigma around it too. Like I, I experience was in there, but I know it can be really helpful to people, but people think, oh, you go to a psych ward. Oh, you're crazy. Like, but you're not, you just need help. Exactly. I love that so much. I definitely think one of my biggest fears, like, before I went to a psych ward was, like, the stigma, and I wish it hadn't been, like, but I think they honestly, a lot of them can do so much help, and, like, it just means you're struggling, and there's nothing wrong with admitting that you're struggling, like, it doesn't make you weak, it doesn't make you less of a person, in fact, it makes you really freaking strong to say, like, hey, I need help, Mm -hmm. and even just reaching out to your support system can be so empowering, and I did want to talk a little bit about, like, so for anyone listening who has, like, who's maybe a family member who has someone with bipolar one or just a family member, you have other health, show, mental health struggles as well. So I guess my question would be, like, how do people best support you? And then, like, what advice, I guess, would you give to family members who have someone struggling with similar things as you do? Um, That's a great question. So the hard thing about bipolar is explaining that your actions aren't controllable, Because everyone's like, oh, you can't blame your mental illness for your actions. Like, yes, like you're still responsible for your actions. And with mania, you don't understand that you're ill. And so explaining to people that you have bipolar is like one of the most important things you can do when you're struggling with bipolar um, and explaining the symptoms to them. Because for me, I get very promiscuous when I like... I personally hate sex, like, (laughs) but, um, when I am manic, I do it anyway. And that is like one of the signs that I am manic. And so one of the things that I try to like tell any significant other of mine about is that like, they have to be careful because I'm not always in my right mind. And so really sitting down and explaining the symptoms to them and explaining this is what happens when I'm manic. This is what happens when I'm depressed. That's a really, that's the first step. And that is by far the hardest. Um, Because <laughs> they often don't understand until they see it in action. Um, so you definitely want to walk them through what your symptoms are so they can be aware and you can be more aware of them. And then you walk them through your coping mechanisms and tell them what helps you 
in those like dark times because everyone has different ones like for me it's just having them encourage me to get out of bed like that is the best thing they can do for me or taking me out to because when I'm depressed I don't eat um because like I feel like too lazy to eat which I actually made an Instagram post about (laughs) because it's like you don't have the energy to eat you don't have the energy to get up and do stuff and so having someone there to hold your hand but not control you because that's one of the worst things you can do for with mental illness and I'm sure you've experienced this but try to tell them what they need like they tell you that you need to go exercise or that you need to eat healthier like yeah sure but how am I supposed to do that when I'm in this dark place like let me guide you for guiding me Like, I just need you to hold my hand. I don't need you to try and, like, lead me down this whole other alley. Like, I know my limits and pushing them are, is such a bad idea because it just makes you spiral more. And so really sitting down with a family member who's struggling and asking them what they need is the best possible thing you can do for any mental illness. Um, I've kind of trained my mom to do that. She actually didn't believe in mental illness before. Um, And my dad struggled with mental illness and they're divorced now. And that was a big part of it is that they couldn't understand each other. And when she, when I first told her that I had depression in seventh grade, like, no. And I was like, okay, okay, that's fine. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) But I told her later on after that fifth attempt, um, I was like, mom, I think I need help. And she didn't believe me and but she did allow me to get therapy uh and then once I went to a psychiatrist I had to beg her to let me get a psychiatrist because she was people that's like oh you can't go on medication because it alters your brain chemistry like yeah that's the purpose of it because brain chemistry altered (laughs) um but she like really didn't believe in any of it but once I was diagnosed she started to see how it was really my life she started to understand it and now she just whenever I'm struggling she goes just tell me what you need and we'll figure it out and so sometimes it's the simplest thing of like I've just asked her to sit with me and eat with me because I do struggle from eating disorders and that is one thing that I'm continuing struggling with um but having someone eat with you is such a like much like it makes it easier and so just having her do that little asking me what I need makes my life so much better and that is I think the best thing you can do for someone who's struggling is just ask them what they need I love that I've never really heard that perspective if I'm being honest like or put exactly like that and I love I think that's really good advice that generally people know what they need it's sometimes just asking them hey like what do you need like and being very straightforward I think can be helpful like not playing little games about it and stuff like that and um the intro the story for mom I think is something that unfortunately a lot of people struggle with is I I really hope people like us are changing this generation and are helping teach people that mental health is real mental health is just as serious as regular as regular oh my gosh I can't believe I just said that um oh my gosh okay as physical health um wow okay um see even that is like an example of like stigma that's in my head that like mental health is like the extra type like no both of them are regular health like and 
changing stigma like that. And I don't know. So I think hopefully, you know, in the future, we're going to have more parents who are a little bit more informed. But I also think it's really awesome that your mom became the mom that you needed, even though she wasn't maybe originally that person. And I think from even from my personal experience, like I'd want to add on that is that even if you're not originally like the parent that you can maybe be, that you can become the parent that you should be for your child, because every child is going to be so different. I always say that about my dad, that he really, really became the parent that I needed. And he wasn't originally that parent. And yeah, with that said, I'm actually, I'm so surprised, but I'm actually through all of our questions. Um, And we are kind of nearing the 40 minute mark. I always give people an opportunity to close with any statement that they'd like. It can be as long or short as you'd like, just anything that you'd really want the audience to hear that we haven't gotten to talk about yet. If you want, I could give you a minute unless you're ready right now. I think that the one thing that I would like want people to take away from this is that it's okay to reach out for help. And one of the things that people talk about, I, like I said, I get a lot of DMS because that is, Oh, are you still there? Yeah. Sorry. My phone just like said 20%. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Uh, one of the things that people reach out and say, they're like, I feel like I'm faking it. Like, I feel like I'm not really mentally ill And I tell them, I'm like, that's a sign of mental illness. Like people who fake, who are faking it. And there are people who do that um, for attention, but like for the most part, nobody does. Um, But you, people who are faking it don't think that they're faking it. Like they won't tell other people that they think that they're faking it. Does that make any sense? I feel like I'm kind of like rambling. No, I, I always tell people. Um, I work a lot with eating disorders, and so I always tell people, like, the want to be sicker means that you're already sick enough, because healthy people don't want to be sick. And so I say, kind of similar to what you're saying, the fact that you're questioning if you have issues, people without those issues don't question it, because they don't, if if you're thinking about it, if you're curious, if you have, if you're sick, whatever word you want to use, If you're mentally ill, whatever term you want to insert in there, if you're thinking about it, it's probably because you are. Yeah, I think um, the last thing I would say on that is that another thing is people say that they're not sick enough to get help. Sick is sick. You go to the doctor for a cold, you go to the doctor for COVID, like you go to the doctor for everything. It doesn't matter how big or small it is. Sick is sick. I love that. I, that is such a good, I've never heard it put like that, but I mean, absolutely. You go when you stum your thumb. I have like stage three chronic kidney disease. I go this. I go no matter what. Like whether it's chronic health issues or a little, you under pinky in the thumb. Like sick as sick. <laughs> All right. With that said, I did want to say one massive thank you on behalf of everyone listening to Emma for coming in and spreading so much wisdom and insight. This was like such an exciting episode and such unique perspective that honestly I haven't really gotten to have a guest on here who has talked quite like how you have and has been so educated and that was really exciting to hear um I think personally I've honestly benefited a lot from this as well just getting to talk to someone and get to learn more and I am so excited thank you so I have loved this so much all right so I lost my words guys again okay This happens every time I'm about to end the episode, but 
I hope you all have a great day. I hope you guys nourish your bodies and I hope you take care of yourself. Do an act of self-care today and just hang in there. Even if what you do today was listen to this podcast, that's pretty amazing. So have a nice day.